in your life. Well, today I'm going to share, <laughs> share with you um, from Romans chapter 12. And, uh, but I want to start with a question this morning. And this question is, who do you belong to? Who do you belong to? Think about it for a second. Who do you belong to? And I don't know where your mind is going when you try to answer that question. Maybe it goes to uh, different groups that you might identify with. You might say, well, I, I affiliate myself with this group, a bike, the biker group. <laughs> that could be an example. Or this team even, like people who are trying to do something uh, together. Um, you might identify yourself as a Canadian. Or if you're from a different country, that country. Or maybe the ethnic group that you're a part of. You say, well, I'm proud to be Norwegian or whatever you are, right? You, you might have that sense of identity. Who do you belong to? I think a lot of people might answer this by saying, well, I, I guess I belong to my family. I belong to my family. Um, you might say, I, I belong, you know, I, I find, you know, my workplace, there's a sense of belonging there. Um, maybe you're sitting beside someone and you have a matching ring to theirs and you might you know, maybe there's a good moment just to nudge them and remind them, you belong to me, right? You know, just do that right now. Just give them a nudge if you're, mar you're, you know, you're married to someone next door, okay? Maybe you read your bank statement this week and you said, oh, my goodness, I belong to the bank. <laughs> I hope that didn't happen. Anyhow, I won't talk about that anymore because that's discouraging. But who do you belong to? Who do you belong to? When we read the Bible, and especially here in, in the book of Romans, the chapter we're going to read today, we find this uh, much bigger reality than all of those other ones. And um, so let me read. I'm going to first read in 1 Corinthians, but then I'll come back to Romans 12. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20 says this. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. So the startling revelation of the Word of God is that you are not your own. Now, I, I thought, you know, that might be an answer when you asked, who do you belong to? There might be people who, because we're Canadian individualistic society, who might say, nobody. Nobody owns me. I don't belong to anyone. I am my own. I'm the captain of my fate. I'm the you know, I'm the one calling the shots. I'm the boss of me. I don't belong to anyone. But the Bible presents something different. It says, you are not your own. You belong to God. Now, why is the Bible saying that I belong to God? Well, uh, I, this, from childhood, this has sort of been my rationale that has helped me to understand this belonging to God piece. That I'm not just his. I'm actually twice his. See, God is the giver of life. He's the creator. And all of humanity, the story of the Bible tells the story of how all of humanity has taken that life that God has given us and then turned away from the life giver. We all have, we're all part of this fallen humanity who's fallen away from God, gone our own way, and we've said, I'm not going to go the path that you have for me, Lord, but I, or God, but I'm going to go to a path that God says, leads to death. It leads to separation from God. And God sees us in this condition. In fact, once, because humanity's gone this way, we can't even come back on our own. Except for 
for what God has done. And the story of Romans. Now remember, Romans, the first chapter of Romans, Paul, who is the writer of this letter to the church in Rome, he announces that this gospel, this good news, that there's a way to be right with God. And that God himself, in his mercy, has provided a way to be right with God. And it's, it's through what Jesus did on the cross. And so we embraced, as, a, as humanity as a whole, has embraced the path that leads to death. But God makes the path back to life with him. We can be right with God through trusting in what Jesus has done for us. So Jesus pays his terribly high price out of love for us. We were brought at a price. That's what the verse said. That price was his blood, his life. It was life for life. He died for me. And so he, he, he owes me. I, I always think of it as I'm twice his. He created me. He gave me life in the first place. And when I chose death as my part of this sinful humanity, then he gave me a way to have life again. So he made me and he paid for me. <laughs> I'm twice his. Now, last week, you had a great, or, or two weeks ago, actually, uh, Pastor Kurt did a great sermon leading into chapter 12, explaining that the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans are really essential to lean into the second chapter, because this is, chapter 12 is sort of the tipping point in the, in, the, in the book, because before that, it was all about what God has done. Very little instruction over what we should do because it was making sure we understand what God has done. That he died for us. And that the way to be right with God was not through doing a whole bunch of, stacking up a whole bunch of good works and then trying to see if that was enough with God. But that Jesus did everything necessary on the cross for us to be right with God. So in view of God's mercy, that's what Kurt, Kurt was talking about. In view of God's mercy, in view of what he did for us, we do these things. Chapter 12 is where that begins to switch. So 11 chapters on just what God has done. And sometimes, I remember when I was sort of would read books like this or parts of the Bible like this when I was younger, I'd, I'd be angsty because I'd be like, oh, I don't want to read all this stuff about what God did. I want to get to the point where I found out what my to-do list is. But the reason, the reason you need that stuff before, well, there's so many reasons, but one of the main reasons that I keep coming back to in my mind is that when I try to do the things Jesus commands me to do, I find them impossible. I find them even unfair. Unless I am looking at what he's done for me. Unless I'm viewing his mercy. Unless I'm looking at what he's done for me. Like unless I, my heart has grasped that I was a treacherous rebel who took someone who gave me everything, rejected it, went my own way, and now I need his mercy in order to come back. Unless I understand that God has been so merciful to me, I will not be able to extend mercy to others. Let me read you some of the verses from the, um, the end of this chapter. I'm not going to spend a lot of time in it, but you're going to see lots of things. And listen for phrases that you think are really hard to do or things that seem unfair for God to require of you. Okay, listen for those things. Okay? And, and bas basically, this is an incredible Paul's recapping the teaching of Jesus. Like, it's like the Sermon on the Mount uh, remix, basically, is what's in here. Okay, so here we go. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate 
what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble. That's an easy one, right? Be patient in trouble. Yeah, we're all really patient when we're in trouble, aren't we? Seem impossible? Seems impossible to me. And keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Have you found anything hard yet? I'm just wondering. Here we go. Bless those who persecute you. Easy? Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Well, let me just read that again. Never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scripture says, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals of shame on their heads. So don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. How many found something, at least in that list, that you found, thought, that is very hard to do? Anyone? You know, I, okay, the ones with the hands down, that's great. It's nice to have you saints among us. But for us sinners, including myself, oh, wow. Jesus commands these things. And they're so hard. And some of them, they seem in, irrationally unfair. You say, never take revenge. Well, well, who's going to hold those people to account? Bless those who persecute you. They don't deserve that. Pray that God will bless them. Uh-uh. I'll pray for them that God will smite them. Because that's what I want. You got any extra lightning you're not using, God? I have someone in mind. If you don't have, if your heart doesn't grasp what God has done for you through Jesus, some of this stuff is going to be, well, I would say impossible. And also it will seem like it isn't fair. But once, or as I would say, because it's a process, that truth about what God has done for you sinks deeper and deeper and deeper into your heart. You're going to suddenly find yourself being able to do some things previously thought impossible and previously thought uh, unrealistically unfair. As you grow in those things, you'll be able to Obey the commands of Jesus more and more. So in view of God's mercy, that sermon, by Kurt, it's so important to keep God's mercy in view or you just won't be able to do what God calls you to do. So we're talking about who do you belong to? You're not your own. You belong to God. So the Bible, if the Bible says I'm not my own and I belong to God, so what? Like what's the implications of that? What do I do about that? We have a rule in our house um, about money, about finding money. 
So we, we, we've taught our kids this. If you find money in the house, you give it to the person who owns the house. <laughs> Sounds a little self-serving, I understand, but, but it's a good rule. It also applies for other people's houses. If you find people money in other people's houses, you give it to the person who owns the house, right? Why? Because that money's not yours, right? Now, you might not know whose it is, but maybe mom and dad will sort out whose money it is, but most, more than likely, it's mom or dad's money. And we're teaching that in our house mainly, but when we, we want it, for the test that comes in another person's house. So they're sitting on someone else's couch, and they reach down on the couch cushion, and there's a $50 bill. I don't want that to go into their pocket. I want them to offer it to the homeowner, right? Actually, I had a bit of a test the other week. We were invited next door to our neighbors, and they were having, uh, we're sitting on their deck. They were having, we were having burgers and drinks. It was a great little celebration with lots of people there. And I was really enjoying myself. And uh, there was an empty seat beside me, and so I, I switched seats so I could get closer to the conversation. And my eight-year-old son, who was with me, he switched seats so he could sit on my previously vacated seat. And then I'm leaning into the conversation, and he taps me on the shoulder, and he says, Dad, I found money. And, and so he had two $5 bills, 10 bucks. And so I said, oh, well, you know what we always say? Whenever you find money, you offer it to the person who owns the house. And we're not at our house. We're at our neighbor's house. So go ahead. He was a little bit shy. And so I just said, I, okay, I'll help you with this. So I said to the owner of the house, I said, hey, my son has found $10. And, you know, does it belong to you? And as I was saying it, I suddenly had this thought, wait a second. I had $10 in my pocket. <laughs> and I reached in, and sure enough, it had fallen out of my, my shorts. And so I was like, oh. <laughs> but I'm, I was like, no, we're committed to this principle. <laughs> so I'm like, is this your money? And I fully know it's my money. <laughs> and then it was like it had to go around everyone at the party. Anyone lose 10 bucks? And I'm like, this is embarrassing. Anyhow, so I thought, well, I'm, I'm probably someone at some point is going to say, well, it could have been mine, and they'll take it. And I'll be like, well, it cost me $10 to teach my kid today. Anyhow. But we're consistent with that rule because we want our kids, we want money that belongs, we want it to go to who it belongs to. We want it to go to its rightful owner. And now, if, when, um, in our house, if my son or my daughter were to find money and give it to mom and dad, it usually goes like this. I found money. They hand it to mom and dad, and I put it in my pocket, and I say, thank you. Now, if it's in someone else's house and it happens, sometimes people are like extra generous and they're like, oh, you're so honest. Here, have the money back. So my kids have caught on that other people's parents are nicer than us. <laughs> but if my son or my daughter were to offer the money to the homeowner, they're not, it's not a gift. It's not a gift. It's not them being so gracious and so kind. It's not, they're not actually being generous. It's just, it's just, that's where the money belongs. That money's not their own, right? It belongs to them. And so when we, the response to, I'm not my own and I belong to God, is that we are called to offer ourselves to him. We're called to offer ourselves to him here in Romans 12. And offering ourselves to God is not giving him some gift out of our own generosity. It's simply giving what belongs to him him. You're not your own. You belong to God, so offer yourself to him. Or as the NLT says, give yourself 
to him. So, if we don't belong to ourselves, we belong to God, and we're called to offer ourselves to God. How how does that look practically? How do I offer myself to God? Well, let's read uh, the verses in chapter 12. And so, dear brothers, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you, or as the NIV says, in view of God's mercy. And let, let your bodies be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. And this is truly the way to worship him. This is an astounding verse. Like this morning we worship him with our words and our hearts and our voices and, and with musical instruments. But you know what? This is just a, uh, this is part of worship. This isn't the whole of worship. The whole of worship is offering yourself to God. Often we get to the moment where we will take up an offering, right? And you think, well, that's another way to worship God, by, by showing our trust in him, by giving money and things like that. But again, it's just part of it. The whole of it is offering all that you are. Offering all that you are. This is truly the way to worship him. Worship is offering yourself to God, giving yourself to him. And then it goes on with some details. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Right? As followers of Jesus, we don't copy the pattern of the world. We, we copy the pattern of Jesus. We imitate Jesus. But let God transform you. Don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So I think the key thing in here that I want to just draw our attention to is we offer ourselves to God by letting him transform our thinking. By letting him transform our thinking. And a big change and a big way that we, tra- we transform our thinking is that we give ourselves to teaching about God. We give ourselves to understanding God through his word and through good teaching. And we also are careful about the other influences that are contrary to that teaching. So when I was a kid, um, my mom read us a book called The Holy War, and it was written by a guy named John Bunyan. He wrote another book which was much more popular called Pilgrim's Progress, but, and mom had read us that book too. Anyhow, but she's reading us The Holy War, and it's an allegory, and it's a story about a city called Mansoul, so you can tell it's an a- allegory. It's about, it's about a person, and the city of Mansoul was under siege, by this enemy army. And the enemy army was none other than, like, I mean, the allegories, this is the devil coming, right? So the devil's coming to siege the city. And now there's two ways they can go about it. One is just to batter the city with siege, you know, catapults and all those battering rams and all these different things. But mostly the, the way that they get into the city, the way the devil gets into the city is by approaching the different gates of the city. And there's five gates in the story that John Bunyan writes. There's an eye gate, there's an ear gate, there's a mouth gate, there's a nose gate, and the feel gate. So it's like the five senses, right? It's, or it's five senses. So it's like, it's like there's five different gates. And where the enemy, the enemy tries to do is they come with deception. Come with deception. So they go to the ear gate the most and talk. And talk about how wonderful it would be if you just opened the gate of the city and let us come in. Oh, it's going to be amazing. Promises of things getting better. And, and, and did God really say, 
You know, it's sort of like this whole temptation thing from the garden. But anyhow, it's an incredibly neat allegory of the story. But eventually the enemy gains access to the city because the people of the city opened the gate. And then it all goes to pot. And later on, uh, another army comes, which is God coming. And, uh, and uh, the city is, is uh, already been dominated by the devil's army. And so there's a whole other chapter or part of it. Very interesting story. But I'm talking about that because this whole thing about letting God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. You might have to close some gates to some sources in your life in order for this to be accomplished. Like you might realize that the ear gate or the eye gate, you know, what you see or what you hear, that they're, they've been given to things that are not transforming your thinking into thinking like God. But they're actually transforming your thinking away from thinking like God. So you might have to close your door to that. And then open your gates to things that will allow you to think more like God. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. So it may require some decision-making in that. So first, offer yourself to God. But this leads into two other areas. Once you offer yourself to God, you're going to find out that there's probably two other offers that follow on with this. And we're going to read about that in the second part of the verses. It says, Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, this is verse 3 in chapter 12. I give each of you this warning. Don't think of yourself better than you really are, but be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given, of us, given us. Okay, let me just pause there for a second. How many of you ever watched like uh, American Idol or America's Got Talent or something like that? Anyone ever watch that? Anyone? And, and which do you like? Now, you can watch compilations on YouTube of the best ever or the worst ever. How many of you like watching the best ever ones? You like watching those people who like, they got up and they surprised you with how good they were. How many of you like those? Those are your favorites. And how many will fully admit your guilty pleasure is to watch the worst ever, the people who just are terrible? How many of you really like that? <laughs> those are sort of fun too, because you can hardly wait for Simon Cowell to just scathingly rebuke them. You cannot sing. You'll never be famous. And don't get your parents in here to vouch for you. It won't make a difference. <laughs> in the NIV, it says, think of yourself with sober judgment. Don't think of yourself better than you are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourself by the faith God has given us. Now, it's not all bad news. If you think, oh man, I, like, and spiritually, I'm like those worst people on America's Got Talent. I have very little talent. Pause on that. That's not totally true here. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. So if you're a part of Christ's body, in other words, if you're a Christian and you're a part of this spiritual family that God's made, of many brothers and sisters who all have something to contribute, you need to play a role. So we are, we are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. There it is again. So who do I belong to? Well, you belong to God. But because you belong to God, you belong to each other. You belong to each other. Now, this makes sense. You know, when, you know, Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the greatest one. And then the second one in ranking is like it. 
Love your neighbor as yourself. Love the people around you. Enter into loving relationships. Now, Paul is speaking specifically to uh, believers and how they interact with believers in these verses. And here, we, here he goes. He says, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, I mean, speaking things like God will nudge you to say something uh, or you have a sense of what God is saying, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. Don't be shy. We're going to give some uh, coaching in the new year. In January, we're going to give some coaching on, on prophecy, on how to, you know, be careful, but also to walk in confidence in this area. And I hope that it will bless you when we do that. But speak out with as much faith as God has given you in this area, if God's given you that ability. If your gift is serving others, then serve them well. If you're a teacher... Teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. <laughs> if it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. So it's like the implication is you're gifted, you have abilities. Some of us don't know that. You know, sometimes we think the things that we do uh, more easily, oh, everyone can do this. That's not true. There are areas where you shine in. You have an ability to do something that many other people go, whoa, 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 that's not easy. That's not natural. That's hard. That's difficult. But God's gifted you. And so, just like we said, we're private and polite. Even in this area, we need to, we need to step out more. And, and, you know, just think about it. Maybe this morning you came to church and you, you weren't thinking in this vein. You weren't thinking, I, I'm going to teach or encourage or prophesy or um, serve or give leadership or show kindness. But this, the morning isn't over. Like there's after the service, you're going to have an interaction maybe with people in the foyer. How about you just think about that and go, okay, what's the best contribution I can give? Maybe it'll be to listen to somebody. Maybe it'll be to walk across the room to somebody you see is all by themselves and just introduce yourself and say hi. A common thing that happens at Hillcrest is it's like, hi, are you new to this church? No, I've been going here for 15 years. That's a common conversation that happens here. It's okay if you have that conversation. Don't be offended by that. It's a big church. Not everybody knows everybody. Actually, nobody knows everybody. That's reality. That's okay. But cross the floor and take the chance to meet a delightful person and to be kind and compassionate to them. So you still have a chance to practice this morning. So... But this is not just about this morning. It's about bringing your best contribution to the body. You've got stuff to give. Bring it as well as you can. Think about strategically how you can bring the most benefit to the body. Right, to other followers of Jesus. Because once you offer yourself to God, it naturally goes into offering yourselves to others. I was thinking about this dynamic. Um, when I was in high school, I played high school football. I, my big joke is that people say, you played high school football? They all are always shocked, right? They look at me. And I say, oh, yeah, I played end, and I played guard, which usually are pretty big guys. And they're like, you played end and guard? People can't believe it. And I say, yeah, end of the bench, guarding the water bottle. 
Anyhow, I'm a skinny guy. I play D-back and corner linebacker. That's, skinny guys can play those positions. Anyhow, so, but high school football, I loved it. It was wild. It was sort of like crazy. These, even practices were exciting because you had all these sort of, you know, tackling duels with other players. And you'd, uh, you know, you just, it was like, you just had all this testosterone coursing through you as a teenage boy, and you could just let it out on somebody else. It was awesome. But it wasn't entirely unsupervised. There was still our coach, and Coach Teason, a godly man, actually, in a town where I grew up in a small town where there was not a lot of Christians, but our football coach was one of them. He somehow managed to pull all us wild things into a team. And so we'd just hit each other and be aggressive, and we just let it all out, and then, and then he'd call us together. And when he called us together, it was like automatic. We'd all come, and we'd take a knee. And we, we, we listened to Coach Larry, and he'd tell us about how this weekend we're going to play Killarney or Boisevane or McGregor, and we need our best game, and we need our best contribution from every one of you. And if you guys do your blocking assignments, and if you guys run your lanes, and if you guys li- you play the, you, you do the plays as we've designed them, and you don't, you don't skimp on your runs, you don't cut corners when you're a wide receiver, and you, and you support each other, and you, you, you know, all the different things that we would do. It says, if you bring your best contribution, there's a really good chance we're going to win on, on Saturday. And we'd be like, yes, sir. He taught us to say sir. No, I didn't say sir to anyone else in my life except for Coach Larry. Because he had, you know what? I didn't have to take a knee. I could go play football at home by myself. But I wanted to be a part of something big. I wanted to represent our town, and I wanted to crush another town's players. <laughs> and I was never going to do that on my own, but I could play a role on a team. But I can't play a role on that team if I wouldn't take a knee. So when we take a knee before God and we say, I'm offering myself to you. I'm bringing all that I have, all that I can possibly contribute. And then God is saying, you know what? It's not just you. It's a whole body, and all of us together are going to do this. And some amazing things can happen. It's amazing to be part of something bigger than yourself. But you got to take a knee. If you don't take a knee, you're just playing on your own. You're not part of something bigger. If you don't recognize that I'm not my own, I'm bought with a price. And I'm going to honor God with my body. I'm going to give my life to him. I'm going to, I'm going to offer all that I am to him. You're not going to play at that other level. You're not going to experience all that God has for you. You're not going to experience partners in the, partnerships in the body that you were meant to experience. There's a give and take. God's put stuff in other people for you. God's put stuff in you for them. And that's how it's supposed to work. But you've got to take a knee. You know, I, I met an amazing lady. Talk about taking a knee. I met an amazing lady a few years ago, Anita Pierce. She was speaking at a camp. She was in her late 70s, I think. And she was awesome. Awesome. Everybody loved her. Every generation. Teenagers loved her. Every generation loved her. When we, because we just realized she was the real deal. She had something from God inside of her. There was a joy inside of her. There was a love inside of her. And she was like, she was sort of like, 
She'd tell awful jokes, laugh at her own jokes. I usually thought that was not a recipe for winning people over. She was magnetic because she was the real deal. She's just genuine. So I, I, I said, I want to interview you in front of all the teenagers because I was the te speaker for the teens. So I said, I want to interview you. And I said, how did you become this person? Like, I mean, if, uh, how do you get to a point where you've gone through all these things in life? Lots of, like, we all go through bad things in life and t difficult things. How do you get to the end and you're super sweet? How do you get to the end and you're full of joy, full of peace and love? I want to know your secret. So I, I had all the teenagers there, and I said, what, what have you done through your life spiritually? What are some of the spiritual disciplines you've done? And, and, and she said, well, I've done different things in my life. She says, I've only done one thing consistently since the day I became a, a Christian. At a, she basically went to something like our mega sports camp, a little thing like that, gave her heart to Jesus, and then lived for him the rest of her days. We just had 40 kids give their hearts to Jesus. Maybe there's an Anita Pierce or two in that group. Hey? God's got incredible ways of guiding and, and leading in people's lives. And so she said, she said, I've only done one thing consistently. And I said, well, oh, okay, I got my pen and paper. Just tell me, what is this one spiritual secret? She says, well, every night when I go to bed, I get down on my knees by my bed, and I, and I, and I tell the Lord that I belong to him. And then I get up, and I open my Bible, and I try to read one chapter. And if I fall asleep, it still counts. That's it. I was like, really, that's it? That's it. I mean, I'm not saying she didn't do other She did a lot of other spiritual practices, a lot of other things that benefit. She memorized scriptures. She did other things. Lots of things she did. But she said, there's only one thing I've done consistently my whole life. And that is every day I tell God that I belong to him, that I'm his. And what she'd experienced, God was changing her thinking. God was changing her heart just consistently, little by little, all over the years. To the point where she got to this point in age where I was like, man, I want to be like you. I want to have a heart like you. I want to be, I want what you got. But she got it from God. I'm going to tell you one last one. If you offer yourself to God, you'll want to change your thinking which is great. There's some old thinking that is totally keeps us trapped and, and keeps us enslaved to a pointless life. And he liberates us with the, the, the thinking he's going to give us. If we offer ourselves to God, he's going to call us to offer ourselves to, to other uh, brothers and sisters in his spiritual family and make your best contribution on a team, be part of something bigger than yourself. And then... If you offer yourself to God, he's going to ask you to offer yourself to those who don't have what you have. He's going to ask you to offer yourself to those who don't have what you have. Romans 1, the very beginning, verse 14, Paul says this. He says, I am obligated to both Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish. That's why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. Now, obligated, it's, uh, in some other translations it says, I'm a debtor. I owe. So what, what, what's this about? Because of the mercy of God that Paul experienced in his life, because God had been so gracious to him, he realized 
he realized the reality that he, God had not been gracious to him because he'd earned it. He says that again and again in the book of Romans. God had been just gracious to him because of mercy. He didn't deserve it. He wasn't special. He wasn't like, I'm better than the next guy, and that's why God had given him what he'd given him. And so he was obligated to the next guy. He says, I have been made rich in Christ. I have, I have eternal life with Christ. I have all this in Christ, and the guy beside me doesn't have it, so I'm obligated. So I think that when you offer yourself to God, it's going to lead you into offering yourself, obviously, to other believers, but it's going to lead you into offering yourselves for the sake of those who don't have what you have. Which brings us full circle to the video clip we watched at the beginning. You've got something to offer. You've got something to offer. Bring your, bring your story. Tell people about what God has done in your life. Initiating this relationship. I was looking at this message and said, am I calling people to make a whole bunch of new relationships? And I thought, well, maybe for some people there are some new relationships. It's, again, if you don't know anyone who doesn't know Jesus, then probably there's at least something there. But I think it's mainly it's just chi- changing your mindset in your relationships. Changing your mindset. I belong to God. I'm not my own. I'm bought with a price. And so I'm going to offer God my body. I'm going to offer God my life. I'm going to offer God my faculties. I'm going to offer God my resources. I'm going to offer God my opportunities. I'm going to offer God my sphere of influence. I'm going to offer God my relationships. I'm going to offer God all that I am. And the good news is he will accept it. I mean, some of those areas I just described, they're a hot mess in some of our lives. You know what? God doesn't say, no, 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 no. Fix that up first. No, God just says, bring it. Come as you are. We did a bit of an exercise out at Kettleson Camp. Rob Chartrand was speaking. I thought it was a great message. And I loved how he ended the message. He just said, how does it, what does it look like to offer yourself to God? And he said, one of the practices, a spiritual practice that you could practice is basically just walk through your body. Walk through your body. And that's how I want to lead you as we end our time together. So would you stand with me? We're just going to walk through offering ourselves to God. Okay? Just lead you through this spiritual practice. So Jesus, we just want to, in sincerity, do this with you. And Lord, whatever you reveal to us, whatever you show us, whatever comes to our mind, uh, we'll trust that, that that's something to help us. And stuff that is, remains hidden and it doesn't come to our mind, we'll trust that that's your grace and your mercy to not overwhelm us. So Lord, I offer you my mind. I just invite you to just say that to the Lord with him today. Lord, I offer you my mind. I offer you my th- the thinking that happens there. I offer you the thinking that uh, isn't that, that's con- totally conformed to the world, and it's it, it means it needs to be transformed. I offer just even the access to my mind. There, there's things I've let in. I've let in th- through the gates of my eyes or my ears or some other gate, and I I need to close those gates and I need to open other gates so that. Um, the bad can be replaced with the good. 
I do invite you to transform my thinking in my mind. Lord, I, I offer you my eyes. You just maybe put your hand there. Put your hand beside your eyes right now. Lord, I offer you my eyes. I offer where I look, what I view. And Lord, you know, you know, you, you meant for me to look at things that are good and noble and righteous and pure and awesome and praiseworthy and Lord, I offer you my eyes. And Lord, now I offer you my mouth. I offer what I say and what I leave unsaid. And there's some things that I shouldn't be saying anymore. And there's things I should be saying more of. But I offer you my mouth. May it be an instrument for you. May this tongue and the words that it forms bring you glory, bring life and encouragement to others. I want to build people up, and I, I know my own hesitations and my own hindrances and my own weakness in these areas. I know the ways that I feel hindered in these areas. Lord, would you loose my tongue to speak words of life? to speak words of praise, to express words of gratitude. And would you constrain my tongue to, so that I'm not complaining, so it's not words of resentment. You know our struggles with words of anger. Lord Jesus, we just offer you our mouths. And Lord, I offer you my heart, what I love the most. what my affection is for. You know, those things that just, they grab me and I'm excited about them. And Lord, maybe there's just some new things or there's a, there's a new powerful affection that you want to bring into my life for you and your work and what you're doing. And So Lord, I offer you my heart. Yeah, I want it to beat for what your heart beats for. I want to beat for you. So, Lord, would you, you do work in my heart. Lord, I offer you my feet. I offer you where I go. Lord, maybe you want to set some new paths for my feet. Maybe there's some straight paths for my feet where I've been wandering aimlessly or going where I shouldn't go. But Lord, I pray that these feet would be feet attached to someone who's bringing the good news. They're feet that um, don't hesitate when I should cross the room, when I should step forward, and when I should follow you. Lord, make my feet ready ready to move at your command. Lord, we ask all these things in your we, we We offer ourselves to you because we belong to you. 
And we, we don't say we're, we are not our own with any sense of loss. Lord, we are not our own is a great joy. We belong to you. You are our beloved. We are yours. We thank you for that reality. In the name of Jesus, and everyone said,